Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Latina Life with Jenna Malena. Today, we are so excited to have Super Latina Lupita Sanchez Cornejo. She serves currently as the Regional Vice President of External Affairs for AT&T California. And she does a lot over there, especially working with the local communities and nonprofit organizations. Um, she is also, we are so proud to say, the first Latina who is going to be the incoming chair of the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. Huge, huge milestone. I don't know if everyone knows, but it's the Commerce's 100th anniversary. So it's been around for 100 years. So finally, a Latina is going to be at the helm. Very excited about that. I'm super excited to share that she is also the three-time recipient of the President of the United States Volunteer Service Award for her involvement in community volunteer work. And then prior to joining AT&T, she was the assistant deputy mayor for LA as well, where she oversaw many, many things. I mean, there was so much to talk to um, Lupita about, but I do wanna say, I'm also proud to say that we are both alumni from the University of Southern California, go Trojans. Lupita, welcome, welcome to our podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Jen Milena. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly my pleasure to be here with you with uh, two ma amazing super Latinas. I'd like to say that one of my superpowers is being a Latina. And mm -hmm. so I am so excited to be with you uh, and to join you and to support the work that you do. Thank you, Lupita. It's such a pleasure having you because you are definitely somebody that um, we need a feature mm -hmm. because you are making so many changes. So I feel like we need to get right into it since mm -hmm. there's so much to cover. And I think one of the things is getting to know you and your background, because I know that, you know, obviously you're breaking so many barriers, but it had to have started from somewhere. So tell us where you're from and, you know, where did you grow up? Thank you for the question. I think uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, background is so important. And we certainly all stand on the shoulders of so many that come before us. I was born and raised in Southeast Los Angeles. I grew up in a community called Bell, California, which is just outside the city of Los Angeles. I went to our local LA Unified School District schools, proud alumni of, of um, elementary, middle school and Bell High School, uh, all local schools. And I will tell you, um, they did well by me and my parents, uh, immigrated to this country um, and in search of what most Latinos are looking for, the American dream and a much better life for their kids than they had. And I will tell you, I think uh, they certainly achieved that American dream as I look at uh, my sisters and my brother and myself. And it was all because of the sacrifice, uh, sacrifices that they made. Um, I also like to share, you know, especially as we're looking at Women's History Month, uh, I come from a strong lineage of really strong women. My abuelita, who uh, I still have with me, you know, she was widowed uh, as a young woman in her 20s with five little kids. Mm -hmm. uh, but she learned to persevere. And my mom was the oldest and she was about eight or nine years old, uh, or the second oldest, I should say, uh, oldest girl and only girl. Uh, but their life forever changed. And my grandmother had to learn how to take care of her five little kids 
had to become an entrepreneur and figure out how she was going to sustain her family and then eventually come to this country. And so I'd like to highlight her because a lot of what she did and my mom, and I think about my mom who uh, still works this day and still lives in Bell, has had every kind of job that you can think of. Mm-hmm. She's done everything from uh, picking up uh, shopping carts at a grocery market, um, mm-hmm. worked in dry cleaning, worked in at Seas Candy, worked every kind of job that you can think of because it was her way to help contribute to her family, to help support her family. And so uh, I pay tribute to her because of her sacrifices. I get to do the kind of jobs that I do today. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of our families did different types of jobs because that's just what you do. So you're absolutely right. And then I will also share, I am married. I have two amazing kids. I'm a mom to two competitive uh, swimmers. And my husband and I both uh, live in Porter Ranch, uh, which is within the city of Los Angeles. I met him through our work at LA City Hall. And so I always love to share that story as well. Absolutely. Because again, family is so important. So that's, that's great. And where is your family from? My parents immigrated from Jalisco, Mexico, a tiny little uh, town uh, by the name of El Paso de Piedra. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were very young, young couple who married and came to this country. I no longer have my dad. He uh, passed away about 15 years ago, but um, in that I will tell you, I got to see my mom in a different light and grow uh, in her own strength and learn how to navigate everything that you can think of from managing a household in terms of bills and writing checks and making sure that property taxes are paid and mortgages and uh, everything that my dad used to take care of, she then became responsible for. Mm-hmm. Latina women are so strong. They really, you know, keep the family going and keep the family together. You know, I'm curious because obviously we are all recognizing each other more. I think now it definitely was, has been progress between the past, from the past, like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Was this super Latina mentality something that you grew up with? Was this something that your parents instilled in you? Or was it something that you learned? Because I know as first generation a lot of times there is that pressure to just assimilate, you know, because you want to get along and move forward. Maybe that's the best way to do it. And I was just curious if that's how it was when you were growing up, easier in your neighborhood. I grew up in a very Latino community, I would say over 90%. And so I didn't know any other way, uh, Mm -hmm. to be honest with you. It was very much uh, how everyone did it. We all pretty had the same dinner at home. We wore uh, the same clothes. We uh, spoke Spanish at home. We watched the same TV. And you know, obviously back then, we had very limited selection in terms of what we watched, whether it was a Chavo del Ocho or um, those type of shows. And uh, so I think about that. And it was, we were very proud about being Latinos, but it wasn't the super Latino as it is today. And I think part of it is because of involvement with amazing organizations that really do so much to uplift uh, women and Latinas. Mm -hmm. I am the first vice chair of this group called HOPE, which stands for Hispanas Organized for Political Equality. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I'm also, uh, you know, as Jen mentioned, fellow Trojan, and I'm on the advisory board of the USC Latino Alumni Association, excuse me, the board of the USC Latino Alumni Association. I'm a two-time Trojan. I have a master's in public policy. Um, and so part of the mission really is how do we want elevate Latinos at USC, ensure that they graduate um, and really support them in the journey. And really a big focus now is also how do we get them to excel once they graduate from USC? Um, mm -hmm. Because there's this amazing Trojan network. And so we want to be sure that when you graduate, you feel the presence of that network and that support behind you. Um, and till this day, we have very uh, many Latinos who are first gen college students. I was a first gen college student and it's a very different experience. I get to USC, I grew up in Bell, over 90% mm -hmm. Latino. I get to USC and it's the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that uh, I had such a positive experience at USC. Uh, I knew I was different. I can't tell you that people made me feel different, but I knew I was different. Mm -hmm. right. And okay. so, so that's one of the things that now, as I work at it, my kids don't go, they go to a pretty um, uh, non-Latino school. Um, but I don't think that they feel different because I'm, I'm very intentional about, you know, you are very smart, you are qualified, you work hard, you're an athlete, and they know they're Latinos, uh, but they don't think they're different. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure that growing up, they feel that, you know, or that their difference is actually positive. Right. You bring right. diversity of thought with that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an interesting topic, and I'm sure it's another topic, another conversation, but my daughter is 18, my son's 15, my daughter's a freshman in another college. And um, it's really interesting because of the fact that, that we grew up really diverse, you know, here in LA, going to one of the magnet schools, um, one of the magnet high schools, and it's really great and fantastic, but she's going to college where it's definitely the reverse. And she doesn't feel any difference like about it whatsoever because she has had so many diverse friends. So it's not until when she comes back that she realizes, like, oh my gosh, mom, I don't, I mean, I think they're like, I can count on my hand, like how many, like. Latin people, you know, are over there, but she's not bothered. She's lots of friends and all that stuff, but it's really interesting having to create the roots or continue the roots for our children being second generation. I don't know if you've like had that or thought about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the diversity, when you think about Los Angeles County, almost 50% are Latino. And mm -hmm. then we had a huge, in the last census, a big spike in the API community. And mm -hmm. so, and then when you think about it, LA is home to people who are from other countries where, you know, LA has a second largest population outside of, for example, you know, Mexico, El Salvador, mm -hmm. Guatemala, go down the list, Armenia, any country, we are the home. So we're extremely diverse, uh, but you're right. My second gen kids, uh, they understand everything in Spanish. They can have a conversation with my mom in Spanish uh, but you can tell that their fluency is absolutely in English. They read in English. They you know, speak in English. Yeah. Uh, so it's trying to make sure that they also maintain their culture. And, um, you know, I will say that my husband and I could do a better job of ensuring that they continue to speak Spanish because when they were first uh, born, they were monolingual. They didn't mm -hmm. learn English. So they were, uh, my son Esteban, who just turned 13 this week, 
he learned English when he was about four years old. And it was because he started sports and he was an understanding instruction. And he started school and they would say something and he would look and, and we thought, gosh, are we doing him harm by not teaching him English? Right, right. Now I hear you. And uh, so he spoke Spanish at home for the first few years. And then when our second child came around, uh, she spoke it for probably less than that because then she had an older brother. And, and so mm -hmm. she had, she's 11 years old. And so they understand it. They speak it a little bit, but certainly uh, we, there's room for improvement there. Um, and that's what you're doing with being part of all these organizations, because it's great that this is how you give back, because I'm from what you've been saying, that's the type of support that you received with your experience at USC. But entering the corporate world and, you know, all of the things that you've done, did uh, you ever have a moment where you were like, wow, why is it a little bit harder for me because... Uh, maybe because you're a woman and maybe because you're Latina, mm -hmm. like, did you ever have any type of moment where, where that was an issue? I've been at uh, AT&T for 21 years. I'm the regional vice president of external affairs for our LA market. And one of the things that I've seen is that the company uh, really values the input that we have with, you know, the connection of our communities. And in LA, it's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're now at almost 50%, very diverse. But I will also share that, you know, our headquarters doesn't look like LA and it right. doesn't look like me. And so I do feel like I have to, uh, you know, ensure that they know that I'm just as qualified. Mm -hmm. I have a master's in public policy. I was an assistant deputy mayor for mayor, the second largest city in the country. Mm -hmm. I was part of the executive team. Uh, I'm a, a leader. And it just so happens to be that I'm Latina as well. Yep. And so it's about uh, ensuring that they know all of that and all of my qualifications and really working towards that. Um, I am proud to work for one of the Fortune 10 companies. They have allowed me to be involved in programs and organizations that I am proud to support. One of them being the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. And um, as Jen mentioned at the top of the hour, uh, we are celebrating 100 years. And I'm so proud of that as we look at 100 years of this chamber that has meant so much to the city, second largest chamber in the, in the LA city. Um, International city, when you think about Hollywood and when you think about the Walk of Fame and the historic nine letters, you know, the Hollywood sign, it is recognized worldwide. When I think about our members that belong to the Hollywood Chamber and I think about the diversity that comes with it, you know, you have business owners that come from all over the world to do business in Hollywood or Los Angeles. And yet it's the first time in a hundred years that you have a woman of color to lead this organization. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. also is historic, but uh, it also gives me pause to say it could have, could have happened sooner. Yeah, um, yeah. Yes. But again, I stand on the shoulders of amazing women who've come before me. I think about uh, our producer of the Walk of Fame, this incredible Latina who has been doing this for decades. And, um, you know, bravo to Anna Martinez. Absolutely. Uh, I think of um, 
the first woman to lead the Los Angeles Area Chamber of Commerce as its president and CEO is Maria Salinas. Mm -hmm. Our housewoman recognized across the country, amazing leader, businesswoman, came from corporate America, had her own business. Um, she's a dear friend and a mentor uh, who, again, happens to be a Latina running this you know, largest chamber in the region that covers over 10 million people. Um, I think of another amazing Latina right now who is also a Trojan, uh, Brisa Sotelo Vargas, and she is a friend uh, in corporate America, uh, works for a different company than I do, uh, but she's currently the chair of the LA County Business Federation. Uh, again, as I look at all these women who are leading these business organizations, you know, my hat's off to them. Uh, many of us are Latinas, and so I also will say that I appreciate the support of our allies and our men allies who support us and put us in those positions. Because sometimes it has to be someone in a position of power to be able to lift us up. And Absolutely. we're qualified and we know how to do it, uh, but power sometimes is hard to give up. And so you need someone to say, you know, um, I worked with her and she gets things done. She's smart, she's accomplished, she's a brilliant pick. Let's work, you know, let's elevate her to do that post. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I've had that in my life. And so I like to point that out because it's been so critical throughout my entire life to be able to have that. Like that. And I will also say I have mixed feelings. I think um, part of me says it's, you know, sad to hear that I have to have an ally to validate me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's interesting because it is such a topic, I think, that resonates definitely with females more. Um, I was at this other conversation a couple of weeks ago with um, a comedian, Ada Rodriguez, and um, some executives from Stars and um, other companies. And we were talking about the importance of having a mentor, right? But also having someone who was more of a supporter um, and the difference between that. Because And so tell me a little bit about that. If, if you've come across like the difference between mentors and a supporter, because they were saying it was an aha moment for everybody because everyone's like, oh my gosh, I have a lot of mentors, but I don't have a supporter who's actually saying my name when I'm not in the room, you know, opening the doors for me. So tell me a little bit about that and like your path. Oh, absolutely. They are both just as critical. And I have been blessed to have both in my life. And I would say uh, even more so in the last 15 years to have uh, a supporter slash advocate because a mentor will guide you and you have you want to have a mentor. You want to have several mentors. And that's one of the things I love to tell women is you want to have several mentors. And I learned this from a girlfriend and she says she had her own personal board of directors. Okay. You have a group of people that come in and your board can change as things change in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, but you want to have a diverse board. You want to have men on there. You want to have people who look like you, but you also want to have, you know, I will tell you one of the biggest allies I, I have had have been white older males. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's because probably they're in the position of power. Right. Uh, but they're also, uh, when you have a supporter, it's someone who is willing to say, you know, as we start to look at succession in our organization, Mm -hmm. let's, you know, let's have her be part of that path. You know, let's have her be in that position. And whether that means that in corporate America, there is a whole nother training path that comes with it. 
that you have an executive coach assigned to you, that you know companies are willing to have you go through specialized business courses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still something that the company needs to invest in you, but you have somebody advocating when you're not in the room to say, right. you know, she's the one. And when you're not in the room to say it internally within the company, externally outside of your company to say, she's ready to take my post. And I've had that happen in my company. And so that's where that becomes so critical is to have that supporter um, or sponsor um, to say those things. And then the question came up because we're all talking. We're like, okay, Miss Ada Rodriguez, we're calling you up. Can you be my supporter? Like, how do you go about, is this something you cultivate over years? Is it something where you have called someone up and have a coffee conversation for other Latinas out there who are trying to break the ceiling yeah. in your areas? How do they go about doing that? Jen, that's a, such a great question because I've gone through so many sessions and seminars and that question always comes up and you always mm-hmm. want to have a mentor who you feel like I can aspire to accomplish what she has done. And so I think my advice is, you know, your mentor could be someone that you have long-term, but it could also be someone that you spend maybe 20 to 30 minutes with a month or each quarter, which means that you have to be extremely productive, you know, bring an agenda, bring things that you want to discuss, come fully prepared. and I, what I have found is that most people are willing to connect with you. Mm-hmm. I have found that when I have reached out to someone and, and to say, and I've done it for others as well. I go to conferences or events, I speak on panels, and then I will have people reach out to me, you know, can we do coffee? And now I'll tell you in the last two years, what we have found is it's so easy to connect with people virtually. And so absolutely, okay. let's find, you know, 20 minutes where we can connect. And then continue that relationship. And so it may not be a daily interaction, but, you know, drop in, check in, see how things are doing, you know, and then if there's things that I can do, you know, I have the opportunity to sponsor some amazing events uh, in the region. And sometimes I call people and say, you know, I think that this is a good opportunity for you to connect, connect with a whole different sector of people, or come and learn from, you know, the whole Latina History Day that we just hosted a couple of weeks ago, it's uh, the largest Latina conference in the country. Wow. And incredible panels, um, incredible sessions. And so whenever I bring, uh, whether it's our group of women from AT&T that are part of our affinity group or other colleagues, they all love it because it's exposure to a different group of women. It's exposure to incredible topics about you know, whether it's financial growth and how do you learn that field, whether it's about, um, you know, becoming active, engaged civically, and how do you get appointments by the president or the governor? Um, Those are key ways that as Latinas, we have the ability to really have such an impact on families that we support across the state, across the region. And I like to think that, you know, as your listeners are thinking about how can I get involved, reach out to your local mayor and say, you know, I live in such a city and I would be interested in serving on a city commission. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. Absolutely. I, I was um, many years ago, decades ago, I was the first youth commissioner in the city of Bell. And it was such a tremendous honor to be tapped. I will tell you, I wasn't quite sure what it meant to do, 
but it was an incredible uh, opportunity that I did that in the city of Bell. And then I've done it uh, in the city of Los Angeles. I've served on commissions for LA Mayor Eric Garcetti. And then I'm currently serving on a state board as an appointee of our California speaker, Anthony Rendon. And so it's about being engaged and uh, finding you know, what areas that you think you can contribute in and raise your hand. Um, you know, it's nice when we have somebody, you know, invite us to the table, but you have to be proactive, raise your hand and say, I want to show up. And then once you're there, you take a seat, you make sure that you have a voice and that it's heard because you're taking a seat and Mm -hmm. that you lift other women there and other Latinas. Oh my God, this is such amazing, right? Right, no, I learned so much. I'm like, okay, I'm going to reach out to my mayor. (laughs) Yeah, I'm oh, sure. I knew we would be fast friends the moment that we connected. Uh, I knew we'd be fast friends. And so I am so excited about this. And I'm hoping that your listeners uh, are inspired and get involved civically because as much as rewarding it is to contribute, you also grow so much personally. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And then maybe we can put, I know when we do our um, social media, maybe we can link up to any organizations you might think um, you know, might help them too, that they could get involved in. That would be great. That'd be fantastic. I would love uh, that. Thank you. Of course. And so Lupita, I know you have a heart out because you're so busy. So I'm so glad you carved out these 30 minutes with us. Um, if you don't mind, I know we'll be calling you again because there's so much more to get into. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much. Thank for you for so I many have, good takeaways. I continue on. Absolutely. If that's great. I mean, that's, yes. there's just so much that I think so many young Latina women um, who would like to be in your shoes, you know, I, I mean, I know you're making big changes. What do you want to see? Um, what would you like to contribute or, or see more in other big corporations in your own corporation for Latina women? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one of the things that, um, I learned just this week uh, a couple of things. One is I was at a, listening to a work conference and our speaker was talking about, you know, do you want to be, and they were talking to our uh, high potential leaders of the company, which I'm one of, and do you want to be a pathfinder or a bystander? Hmm. And I had never heard that, you know, pathfinder versus a bystander. And I love that because I thought, I want to be a pathfinder. Absolutely. And I think there's a role for both of them. But it's good to see like, you know, and I would hope that most of us want to be pathfinders. Yes. Um, And whatever that is, um, I have taken a path that, you know, I uh, certainly did not have the struggles that my parents did or my grandmother did when they first came to this country. Uh, I had it easy compared to what they did. but I was, I hustled, you know, I hustled when I was young. I started interning uh, and volunteering when I was in junior high school and in high school. And, and it was because I'll tell you, I had inc- an incredible mentor that spent time and energy to say, you know, think about what you want to do in life. Are you looking at public policy? And I'll tell you, I didn't know what I wanted to do in high school. And I don't think I knew very well in high school. I thought maybe law school or medical school, right. um, I wasn't quite sure. It's, you know, those are kind of the, you know, dream big, right? And, yeah. and I let you, 
you know, have that support from, or I had that support from family and friends to dream big. Um, but then when I followed the public policy path, it was really a way to connect and have a difference at the local government level. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, spent some time up at in Sacramento interning. I spent some time in Washington, D.C. When, when I was in high school, I was part of this program called Junior Statesman of America. And I spent some time at Stanford University. But all of that was, um, it meant I went away. Mm-hmm. And I think about it now how this was in a time before navigation and apps to tell you how to get to places. And I think about my dad would drive me everywhere. And one of the hardest times was when I was in high school and he drove me up uh, to Stanford and he you know, dropped me off mm. and then he came back home and made the drive back home. Um, and I always think about, I don't even know how he knew to get to Stanford. I wouldn't yeah. even imagine how to get to a campus in a dorm. Right. And then when I was in, uh, at USC, I spent some time up in Sacramento at the Capitol interning and I had to get a tiny little apartment I remember the first time I cried. I didn't know anyone. I didn't, you know, they yeah. tell you lock your door. You don't know anyone, you know, go straight back home. Yeah. Um, and so it was hard, but I also think about how that shaped me and gave me the opportunities that I have today. Mm-hmm. And so as Latinas, we have to be willing to do those things. And we have to be willing to do, you know, the things outside of our comfort level. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to take those opportunities. I always tell my kids, if you get an opportunity, you say yes, and you figure out how you're going to do it later, but you say yes, because you take those opportunities. And uh, this week I had, was uh, moderating a panel for uh, this other amazing Latinas, two judges. Uh, one is Judge Wendy Avila, first Latina in the Bakersfield Kern County area. And then uh, another judge, a judge, uh, the Honorable Lucy Armendariz, who is part of the LA County system and manages a huge courthouse uh, in the region. And uh, Lucy said, the dream is free, the hustle is sold separately. And I told her, I am gonna borrow that line. I love that. Yeah. I think it's so relevant for all of us. And when she shares her story, uh, um, and you know, she grew up in the foster care system, and then she aged out of it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and talked about you know the reasons she went to law school, and then eventually you know ran to be a judge because it takes you know hard skin to be able to run for office, but she said it was because she saw all the, all the inequities and inequities that she saw as a Latina as well. Mm-hmm. in the foster care system and growing up. And so uh, I love that the dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. Oh my that God, that's so yeah. true. Um, our our <laughs> listeners are gonna be learning a lot of things from this conversation with you, <laughs> I mean, honestly, the one thing I did wanna ask, and you know, I think we're both, all three of us are, you know, strong. I'm sure we've have our moments of, you know, growing up and shaping, but um, I did a panel one time with, um, some scholars from USC and a Latina asked me because she was going through this. If I ever dealt with imposter syndrome, what would you tell? And I did, you know, feel that she was struggling with that, but what would you, and I gave her my advice, but I'm interested in hearing what you would tell any Latina going to any college. It's not just USC, but any, uh, anywhere else, or even entering their career, how to deal with that. 
Absolutely. I will tell you that I feel like I sometimes still feel it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It takes time. I think that you really actively have to work to say, I'm just as qualified. I -hmm. have my education. I work hard. I'm in this position for a reason. And so, and it's, and it goes back to having your, you know, personal board of directors surround yourself with people that, uh, and not just people who are going to agree with you all the time, but people who will, you know, allow you to think differently, who will provoke, provoke, you know, different thoughts, people who will encourage you to do things. And that whole imposter syndrome part of it is because we're so used to being around what we are familiar with what we're Mm -hmm. comfortable with people that look like us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and everyone is, I think that's who you naturally gravitate towards. Um, But it's about knowing, you know, you have to build that confidence and you have to say, I deserve a seat here just as much as everybody else does. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. You gave us so many takeaways and just the fact that, you are making such a difference and, you know, most of your life you have been giving back and I know that many people appreciate it like myself and just thank you so much for taking the time and speaking to Jen and I. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. I have to thank the both of you for what you're doing to elevate Latinas, the super Latina, this podcast. I was so excited when Anna mentioned this and uh, wish you so much success and look forward to listening to it as you know, I do, um, I started this ritual during COVID uh, about health. And I walk daily or exercise daily. Because I think it's so important that as Latinas, we need to take care of our personal health. Um, Very true. So I'm on day 187 or something of closing my rings on my Apple watch every (laughs) single day with intentional exercise every single day. Well, good for you. I and know. hopefully you'll, yeah. you'll be able to walk and listen to us. <laughs> I have some stories. Well, I have this great path at a, I like to say it's a 900 feet elevation. And so if any, any listeners out there know that that's quite a steep walk, but it's also become such like, it's my me time. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, well thank all, you for taking yeah, the time. Thank, thank you. you. And to all of our Latinas out there, you know, just find your path, right? Be a path finder or a bystander, yes. right? So here we go. So everyone find your path. And besos a todas. Love you all. Thank Muchas you. Muchas gracias. Until the next time. Have a great one, Lupita. Thank, Thank you, Lupita. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.